0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett coming to you with a Thursday broadcast. So thankful that you are joining us today. Hey, you've almost made it through the week. Just hang in there. One more day to go. We'll get to Friday, and then that's one day closer to my favorite day, of the week. Well, I'm so glad that you joined us today, and I do want to encourage you, if this broadcast is a blessing to you, why don't you consider sending a donation to Hickory Ridge Community Church? And uh, this uh, ministry is a ministry of our church. We're so excited about what God is doing at our church, so excited that God's people give generously uh, so that we could be on the air. But if this is a blessing to you, would you consider making a donation to Hickory Ridge Community Church? Uh, You can go right to our website, and if you Google it, Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, our webpage will come on up, or you just go to hrcc7.org, that number seven, hrcc7.org, and when you get to our website, just click on the Giving tab, and uh, you can mark it for the broadcast. That way we know everything that comes in as a donation to the broadcast will be used to pay for the cost of doing the broadcast in airtime. We would certainly appreciate you having a part in this ministry. Well, today, I want to talk to you about... The Power of the Word to Overcome an Offense. The Power of the Word of God to Overcome an Offense. A pastor arranged for a gathering of the women's ministry. It was to be a garden party on the church front lawn, under the old, old tree. At the last moment, the morning of the party, Mrs. Preacher discovered that she left off the invitation list Sister Hissyfit. Somehow, her name was missed on the invitation. Well, the pastor called the dear sister and begged for her forgiveness. I'm so sorry we didn't catch this sooner, Missus Hissyfit. Won't you please come to the party? Conjoled the pastor. Well, Missus Hissyfit said, "Well, begging won't help now." Preacher said the offended Missus Hissyfit, "I've already prayed for rain." <laughs> oh, that's a funny story, isn't it? Praying for rain. Well, I want to encourage you with the power of God's word to overcome an offense. A preacher friend of mine by the name of Rick Amato said, The seed to your greatest power is hidden in the heart of your worst problem. So maybe this is your worst problem today. You have a difficult time overcoming offenses. In Luke chapter 17, we are told that there will always be a temptation to sin. But how terrible it will be for that person who does the tempting. Now, the reason it's so important to overcome offenses is because we cause others to sin when we don't get past an offense. We also give the devil an opportunity to have a stronghold in our lives when we are overcome with offenses. You might be overcome with offenses. Here's some ways that you can tell if you're struggling with an offense. Number one... You find yourself compelled to tell, quote-unquote, my side of the story. Or number two, you feel like nobody understands your struggles. You're a whiner. You're feeling like a victim. You ever feel that way? Nobody understands how bad my life is. Uh, You might be struggling to overcome an offense. Or, Or number three, you have trouble being consistent to spiritual things. You're up and down. Serving one day, not serving, giving one day, not giving, inconsistent in worshiping. Generally, that is a person who is struggling with an offense in their lives. In Psalm 55, it tells us, and David is writing, and he says, If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide from him. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throne at the house of God. Here David is talking about a dear friend, a very close friend who has betrayed him. And as we look at the story today, we're gonna be looking at how David had to deal with Ahithophel. You know, one of David's most trusted advisors, Ahithophel betrays him. In 2 Samuel 16, 23, it says, and the counsel of Ahithophel in those days was as if a man had consulted the word of God. Ahithophel had been King David's faithful counselor for decades, giving David the benefit of great wisdom. As a matter of fact, Ahithophel was so brilliant, it was as if a man had inquired from the word of God. When David learned his trusted friend had betrayed him, he was driven to his knees. He prayed, "O oh Lord, I pray you turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. So why did Ahithophel betray David after so many years of faithful service? And why would he ask Absalom to ask him to personally lead the army of rebels to attack and kill King David before the king could escape? Puts an actual a threat on the life of King David. Finally, we're going to look at why would Ahithophel... Advise Absalom to have sexual relationships with his father's concubines on the front of the palace for everybody to see. Absalom said to Ahithophel, 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 20-22, to Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all of Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father, and that the hands of all who are with you will be made strong. So they spread for Absalom a tent on top of the king's house, and Absalom went into his father's harem in the sight of all of Israel. Wow. You know, one of the reasons that I know the Bible is the word of God, and it was written by God, not by man, is that if this was me writing this account, I probably would have left this chapter out of the Bible. You know, this whole story is somewhat different. David was supposed to be at war, but he stayed in Jerusalem instead. So so David's first mistake was that he was not where God called him to be. He was not at war, leading his nation against their enemies as their king. Only time later would we discover that David was not in battle where he was supposed to be. And, And as a result of not being where he was supposed to be, he was doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. We can see evidence here that Bathsheba, in this relationship that David has with Bathsheba when he should have been out at the war, uh, we see evidence that Bathsheba was no stranger to the king. As a matter of fact, Bathsheba's father, Eliam, was the son of Ahithophel. Therefore, we conclude that Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Now we can begin to understand what was occurring behind the scenes. Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and her father, Eliam, were part of an elite force of 30 men. These were like the inner circle. This is like the SEAL team, right? Uh, They fought for the king, and so they would be no strangers at all to David. That was his inner circle that protected him, his personal bodyguards, if you would. And the scripture tells us that Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah. And she was very lovely to behold. Now, that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, when we think about people getting offended, they generally will be offended and they fall into two categories. Number one, those who have been treated unjustly. And maybe that's where you are today. You say, I'm, I'm rightly offended because somebody has taken advantage of me. I have been treated unjustly. I've had this thing come against me. I don't deserve this. I've been falsely accused and 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 I don't deserve it. maybe I've been abused maybe somebody has 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 taken advantage of me uh, physically or 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 sexually or 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 maybe even financially and I've been mistreated and and I had the right to be offended. Uh, the second category of people are, are those who think they have been treated unjustly uh, Those are the ones that really don't have a reason to be offended, but in their mind. They have been treated unjustly. And and as a result of both of these offended two categories, they tend to nurse the offenses. You know, nursing offenses does two very destructive things. Number one, it keeps me from seeing my own character flaws. Now, I see this often in marriage counseling. Uh, We'll use a wife as an example where she sees what her husband has done, and he's done something that is wrong. There's no disputing what he has done is wrong, but she keeps nursing it and rehearsing it instead of forgiving him. And that keeps her from seeing her own character flaws. Now, it could be just the opposite with the husband doing the same thing, so don't feel like I'm picking on the wives here. I I I want you to know that it can happen to either the husband or the wife, where they keep nursing an offense, and it blinds them to their own character flaws. Now, there's another thing that nursing and offense does that's very destructive. It also defers blame to another. In other words, I am going to blame everything on that person who has offended me. I can see them doing nothing good, nothing positive. You know, in dog obedience training, they put a dog at one end of the room and its master at the other end of the room. And in the middle of the floor, they put a plate of food right in the middle. And then the master calls the dog. Now, if the dog eyes the food, he's a goner. He'll go straight for it. So they teach the dog to focus his eyes on the master. If the dog keeps his eyes on the master, he won't be tempted. Instead of heading for the food, he'll head straight to the master. The same is true in overcoming offenses. If we focus on the offense instead of Christ, then we're going to be a goner. We will never get victory past that offense. One great preacher of yesteryear said, you will never get beyond whatever it takes to discourage you. What is that one thing in your marriage that you refuse to get past? Whatever that one area is, is going to be the stopping point of your growth. So how do we work through offenses? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 18. And uh, and we'll see how this kind of fits in here in just a moment. I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And also buy white garments so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and buy ointment for your eyes so that you'll be able to see. So here we are, three things, buy Gold that has been purified by fire, realizing that when the offenses come, part of that is a purifying process. It it may not be fair. uh, It may be not even completely understood, but it is caused to purify us. Then we are rich. The second part is to buy white garments. That is to cover over an offense, not for the sake of saying it didn't happen, but for the sake of bringing healing. And then buy ointment for your eyes so that you may be able to see. The ointment for your eyes refers to allow God's word to be applied to this situation so that you can see the reality of what really is happening. Because we all know there are three sides to every story. His side, her side, and in the middle is the truth. But if you're hung up on your side only, you will miss the truth. So we pray, Lord, help me to see the reality of my offense the truth of my offense, and how I should respond. So here's how we work through offenses. Number one, be open to the complete revelation of the truth. I I find that most people only want to be moderately honest. They don't want to be painfully honest. Uh, They want to be honest with the revelation of their hurts, but they don't want to be honest in regards to the person who has caused the hurt. Proverbs eighteen nineteen says that a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And a contentious woman is like the bars of a castle. In other words, once a brother has been offended or allowed an offense into his mind, the task of reconciliation is extremely difficult. So be completely open to the revelation of truth. You know, Jesus did not compromise truth to keep people from being offended. And here's what I want us to read. John chapter 6, a very popular chapter in the Bible, uh, verses 60 to 66. It says, when Jesus' followers heard this, many of them said, this teaching is too hard. Who can accept it? And I think many of us would be tempted, okay, well, let me dumb down the teaching. Uh, let me soften it a bit. You know, And I think that this has happened um, uh, with many of us when it comes to the teaching of what God's Word says about divorce, and you think about the whole subject of divorce. I, th- I think today, uh, if we really uh, took a strong biblical stance on on what the Bible taught about divorce, uh, we would probably offend half of our church family, right? Uh, because the teaching on divorce with the Bible is is much more harsh, I think, than most of us are really willing to admit. Uh, but that, but that's a different subject for a different day. Uh, but a verse number sixty one. Uh, Jesus is is giving him a hard truth, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Knowing that his followers were complaining about this, Jesus says, well, does this teaching bother you? Then will it also bother you to see the Son of Man going back to the place where he came from? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh doesn't give life. The words I told you are Spirit, and they are life, but some of you don't believe. So, so Jesus says hitting the nail on the, on the head, and, and saying, well, the big problem here is, is not that my teaching is so hard. It's that you don't believe. You don't believe in me, the one that is the teacher. Jesus knew from the beginning who did not believe and, and who would turn against him. Verse 65, Jesus said, that is the reason I said, if the Father does not bring a person to me, that one cannot come. After Jesus said this, many of his followers left him and they stopped following. In other words, they got offended and they said, I'm out of here. Now, Jesus asked the 12 followers do you want to leave too? Simon Peter answered, and I love Simon Peter, man. He's awesome, right? He just blurts it out there. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words that have given eternal life. We believe and we know that there is, you are the Holy One from God. Then Jesus answered, I chose all 12 of you, but one of you is a devil. Wow, that's harsh, isn't it? Jesus was talking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, Judas, that one of the 12, but later he was going to turn against Christ. And so we see here that offenses are not going to be eliminated if we compromise truth. We may delay that person uh, being offended, but he's still going to get offended. So Jesus didn't compromise the truth to keep people from being offended. Jesus didn't intentionally offend. and So this is the opposite side, right? He didn't intentionally try to go out of his way to offend people. He didn't defend his own personal rights, for example. Uh, Matthew 17, 27. Jesus said to people, the children of the king don't have to pay taxes, but we don't want to upset those tax collectors. So go to the lake and fish. And after you catch the fish first, open up its mouth and you'll find a coin. Take that coin and give it to the tax collectors for you and for me. So Jesus says, listen. Children of the king technically don't have to pay taxes, but to avoid offense, we pay the taxes. And so Peter goes out and gets the fish and gets the coin out of the mouth of the fish and he pays the tax. So when you think about offenses, if the offense is real, confront it. Don't transfer it, confront it. Romans 12, 17 says, repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So confront it, don't retaliate, don't transfer it, actually confront the offense. Secondly, if the offense is fabricated, if it's not true, forget it, don't justify it. Now, pride tends to come into our lives and and when we're confronted with something and we discover that we're on the wrong side of the truth, don't Die on that hill of I'm offended, and I'm going to try to justify it some other way. Forget it. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, part of that meaning of the word blessed means to be happy, to be joyful, to be depression free. Sometimes we may think that we have forgiven somebody, but we really have not. When you forgive someone, they are also forgiven by God. And again, Jesus said, John twenty twenty one, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. You are to fully forgive. And when that happens, God's peace will rest upon you and the Holy Spirit will comfort you. I think what Jesus is saying is when we forgive someone, we can no longer hold on to that offense. We can no longer hold that offense over that person. We have released them from the offense. Now, we don't have to have the ability to forgive somebody who has sinned against God, but we do have the ability to forgive somebody who has sinned against us. So So Jesus is not saying, I forgive them. He says, they will be forgiven. When we forgive We get God's peace, and it rests upon us, and His Holy Spirit comforts us. Now, we need that comfort. We need that peace because we tend to unforgive or do silly things like judge the person who responds to our forgiveness. We forgive regardless of how that person we forgive responds. That's up to them. You know, when I forgive somebody, I almost hate to admit this, but I kind of do it out of selfish reasons. I forgive people so that I can be released. I can receive that peace of God resting upon me in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That is the benefit of forgiving somebody. Now, you gotta be genuine in this forgiveness. Uh, You can't fake it until you can make it. Uh, But when you genuinely forgive somebody, that Spirit of God rests upon you, gives you peace, gives you comfort. So when we think about the steps that we take We've learned so far to be open to the complete revelation of the truth. Number two, be courageous and remove my mask. Now, I know everybody's wearing masks now because of COVID. Uh, I'm not talking about your COVID mask necessarily. I'm talking about that mask of pretension, right? 1 Corinthians 6 says this, verse number seven, to have such lawsuits is a real defeat for you. Why not accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? Wait a minute. Now, this just doesn't sound right. You mean I'm going to let myself have this injustice? But instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and you cheat, even your own Christian brothers and sisters. So be courageous. Remove the mask. This is looking at the heart of lawsuits between believers. Now, this was a real defeat to the church at Corinth. And by the way, it is still something that we battle today. Believers taking believers to court. Why shouldn't believers take another believer to court? Because the world does not judge with Christ in mind. And we as believers judge with Christ in mind and forgive instead of litigate. Few people in our judicial systems have an accurate understanding of spiritual matters. But occasionally, some do. Supreme Court Justice Scalia was that exception. In 2013, he had an interview, and in this interview, Scalia talked about the devil. During this interview with the New York Times Magazine, this Supreme Court Justice, Anthony Scalia, who passed away in 2016, explained his beliefs about the reality of the devil. After mentioning his belief in a real heaven, he injected that he also believed in a real hell. I even believe in the devil, he said to the interviewer. You do? Of course. Yes, he's a real person, Scalia said. Have you ever had evidence of the devil lately? You know, uh, it's curious. In in the Gospels, the devil is doing all sorts of things, Scalia says. He's making pigs run off cliffs. He's possessing people with why not, and, and, and it doesn't happen very much anymore. It's because he's smart. So the interviewer asks, well, well, what's he doing now? What's he doing now is getting people not to believe in him or not to believe in God. He's much more successful that way. Askelia continues by saying, "I I mean, come on, what's the explanation for why there's not demonic possession all over the place? That always puzzles me. What happened to the devil, you know? He used to be all over the place. He used to be all over the New Testament. What happened to him? He's gotten wilery. He is hiding. Well, the interview asked, well, isn't it terribly frightening to believe in the devil? You're looking at me as though I'm weird, Scalia says. He says, are you so out of touch with most of America, most of which believe in the devil? I mean, Jesus Christ himself believed in the devil. In the gospels, you travel in the circles and, and you discover that you're, you're so removed from American mainstream that you're appalled that anyone believes in the devil most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people than you or me have believed in the devil. So Anthony Scalia understood the forces of darkness, the power of the devil, the reality of a heaven, and the reality of a hell. So I want to encourage you when it comes to this matter of overcoming offenses. Be courageous. Pull down that mask. Have a heavy dose of the truth based upon God's word and you will be able to overcome your offense. Well, there's another point that we got to look at. Number three, be patient and remain without taking revenge. It is righteousness for God to avenge his servants. It is unrighteous for God's servants to avenge themselves. The old preacher said, you know, you can't fight a pig, without coming out smelling like a pig. Even if you beat that pig, you're going to smell like a pig. We live our lives without taking revenge. Loyalty to God is measured by loyalty to God's leaders. I wish I had time to develop the rest of the story of what happened with King David. And I'm going to begin the broadcast tomorrow by finishing up that story of how we should be loyalty to God's leaders and how God blesses us in the long run when we do that. So I hope you join me tomorrow as we pick it up right where we left off today. So thank you so much for listening today. And if you're battling with an offense, Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother offends you, you go to him, and you speak with him. Talk to your brother. Don't talk about him. Talk to him. Ask the Lord to give you the right words to say, and I would say 90% of the offenses that you have are quickly resolved. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.